Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. I'm your host, Mike Gannon, and thank you to everybody for tuning in tonight. I hope you're all doing very, very well on this fine summer evening. Um, You can catch this, of course, and all previous episodes of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast on blogtalkradio.com and on iTunes. Just check it out. Look for the Pond Hunter you cannot go wrong. Welcome to episode 32, everybody, of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. And tonight we are talking about the amazing lotus flower. Yep, that ancient, mystical, sacred plant. And uh, my guest is author and expert on the lotus, Paula Biles. And Paula will be joining me shortly tonight. And we're going to talk about some lotus, yo. That's right. So um, it's a big topic. Deserves the whole show. I'm excited to talk about lotus. Like I said, I hope everybody's doing well. And again, thank you for being here with me. Happy summer, everybody. Here in the uh, U.S., we're getting ready for the biggest weekend of the summer. It's going to be the 4th of July here in the U.S. Time to barbecue. Enjoy your family and friends and hang by the pond. Of course, you've got to get out by the koi pond and water garden. What a great time of year for it. Great time to hang out in your backyard paradise staycation. Who needs to go away when you have a vacation right in your own backyard? Um, did you know that they don't have 4th of July in other countries? It's crazy. It's like been scientifically proven by, I don't know, four out of five archaeologists. I know a lot of study went into it. Um, but anyway, this summer has been great, man. I, I've had a lot of time hanging out by my pond, um, especially lately with um, graduations, Father's Day, just the general summer hanging out pond side. Uh, it's been really good. So far, so good this season. And um seems that, you know, kind of in July, ponds in the northeast area of the U.S. are when things even start to get a little bit jungly with your ponds you know it's like things are really starting to take off Um, we had a little bit of a slow start in the northeast because of our overall weather conditions we had a very long winter um, a very cold long winter kind of a cool spring but we're into kind of normal summer conditions right now so it really uh the ponds are 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 looking great but um it's it's kind of a good time of year to um schedule uh, a midsummer service for your pond too for all your pond keepers out there um it's getting really to be that time of year and you should contact your local pond professional i'm sure they'd be happy to come out and do a midsummer service for you if um 
anybody in the listening audience needs a referral, I know a lot of pond professionals, a lot of guys. I can I can hook you up um, with certified contractors. Real deal. And um, it's just that time of year. You know, the ponds can use a little bit of service this time of year. My company does midsummer services, full service aquatics, in the last couple weeks of July and early August. And it's really, it's a much-needed service. It keeps your pond looking good and running great until it's time to winterize it. You know, it kind of gets you through the rest of the summer season. And it's busy. Summer is busy. So if you're not finding you have the time to do it, definitely reach out um, to your local pond pro. They will get it done for you. So schedule your maintenance pond keepers. Your ponds have been through a lot since spring, not to mention, I'm sure many of us, Pond keepers have dealt with a bit of spawning, like myself. And if you have, you know how funky things can get in the pond after a spawning session. Yep, man. Little funky. Um, so anyway, I think as far as general stuff right now with ponds, I hope you guys are all keeping up with your fish feeding. This time of year, feeding should be done frequently. I, I think at least daily. Um it's just a time of year that it's especially important. Your koi and your goldfish, the activity levels are really high. When you go out to your pond, you see these guys are, they're on the move. They're, they're moving around the pond. They're running all over the place. And they need nutrition. They need calories. Or they're going to end up getting thin on you. And nobody likes a skinny fish. I like seeing big, healthy-bodied fish with curves. Wow. Um, so this time of year probably most of what you're feeding your fish is actually being burned right off because they're so active right now. So think of what you're feeding now as maintenance feeding, and this is just to keep your fish in good body tone and fat content during the season. But listen, when late summer hits, remember, you guys, when you when you know you're heading into cooler temps, and this is going to vary depending on where you live, um, try to ramp up your feeding while it's still hot. Cool ten, you know, maybe when cool temperatures are like a month away because you want your fish to feed and ramp it up. You want them to kind of build those fat reserves to bring them through the winter. And once the cooler temperatures hit, and sometimes it happens very suddenly, your fish's um, appetite is going to be decreased. So the chances of giving them that nice fat reserve going into wintertime, you get a real small window of opportunity. So you know, please remember, August, it's hot, it's summer, but late August is time to start feeding your fish to prepare for wintertime. So it's just a little tip. You want to uh, make sure you're feeding them the big fish. They need food, and you need them to bulk up. So remember that. Um, your plants right now, this time of year, your plants should be just looking awesome. They, you know, aquatic plants generally love the heat. There's not many aquatic plants I know that don't really just burst into action during the heat. And um, we do have high temperatures, and we're heading into July. Happy July, everybody. Happy summer. Happy July. It's July 1st today. And it is a very lush time in our water garden koi ponds. It just can be a little bit like a jungle. However, it may still be time to fertilize your plants for the rest of the season just to get them through. They've probably eaten up and, and burned off the fertilizers you applied during the springtime. So this is a good time of year to think about re-upping to get them through the rest of the season, nice and uh, healthy and strong. Um, try to cut off dead and dying growth this time of year. Remove spent blooms. Don't leave those things just kind of hanging and, and mucking up your pond. You know, a big thing that um, a lot of pond keepers 
worry about. A big um, complaint that I'll see a lot of the times through social media especially is, is maintenance. You know, I don't want the amount of maintenance you have to do. If you do little things here and there, like removing those spent blooms, removing um, parts of the plants that are not um, performing well or just dead, um, you really, I know it's maintenance, but you're reducing the amount of big maintenance you have to do. So um, not to mention cleaning up your plants just gives them a really fresh, awesome look, you know. So do it. Get out there and do it. Um, you need to service your filters in July. Your ponds have been through a lot, and especially recently, like I mentioned, spawning, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're, you know, spring is usually a kind of a tough time of year on ponds. So um, it's a really good time to clean out your filters, get those serviced, whatever type of filter you have. Give it a real good clean out. July is, is a maintenance time for your ponds, so get it done, pond keepers. You're just looking at, you know, a few hours, maybe half day of uh, getting out there and making things so much better for the rest of the season. Makes life easier, more wonderful. If you want your life a lot easier and a lot more wonderful, like I said, contact your local pond professionals. Uh, if you're not sure where to find a pond pro, check out your local certified aquascape contractor. Um, these are certified pond pros, like myself, a certified aquascape contractor, who are likely servicing your area almost no matter where you are. And again, if you need some help, let me know. And um, speaking of pond professionals, let's have a word from our sponsor, Full Service Aquatics, and then um, we'll get into the show here. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back in just a minute. Do you love your pond? Full Service Aquatics Water Garden and Koi Pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full Service Aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm, has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full Service Aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. Visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a Full Service Aquatics pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full Service Aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. LoveYourPond.com. That's my company's website. Go ahead and check it out. Um, welcome back, everybody. Tonight, we're getting into the lotus flower. It's, I mean, really an amazing plant. It's had a huge impact on so many things. Yet, funny, when you look it up, if you go look up the definition of lotus, it's so boring. <laughs> it is definition number one, any number of large water lilies in particular. Huh? That's it. That's all they got to say. I like the second definition more. There's only two that I come across in Webster's. And this is why I think it's a good to topic for a show. Definition two of lotus, a little more intriguing. Um, it is a legendary plant whose fruit induces a dreamy forgetfulness and an unwillingness to depart. Sounds like my kind of plant. Um, so I'm really excited to have tonight's guest on the show. We're going to be joined by Paula Biles tonight. Um, Paula is a noted author, expert, and speaker on the Lotus. She's also a contributing author to various industry publications, 
as well as contributing lots of great photography to the industry and the subject of Lotus. And she's also traveled the world in pursuit of Lotus and really has amassed a tremendous amount of experience in this great, broad, deep subject of the Lotus. And tonight, she is with us. Hey, Paula, are you on the line? I am. I'm blushing after that nice introduction, Mike. Oh, well, you know, it's just <laughs> the truth. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great. This is a nice opportunity to talk to folks about Lotus and um, answer questions or show them some of the neat things that they might not know about Lotus. We can do all that. We've got plenty of time, and this is a great opportunity, so thank you for that. I'm very happy to have you here. It really is. It's a great opportunity for a great topic, and, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from some people tonight with their questions, comments. Or if they just want to call and say, hi, how's the weather down there? You're down in Florida, right? I am down here in Florida, just south of Tampa area on the west coast, and it's hot. It's summer here, for sure. Um, The things that Uh, Lotus loves, hot, bright sunlight, they're doing great. Oh, yeah. I bet Lotus loves it this time of year in Florida. My sister just moved down to Florida. You know, she's from New Jersey like myself, and she moved to the east coast at uh, Port St. Lucie because she just didn't want to take the cold anymore, but I bet the hot can be pretty bad down there, too. Yeah, we don't get usually over 100, and I know that you guys get a lot of times where it's like 99, 100, 101. That's not something we get here, and and we generally, because we're close to the water, no matter where you are in the state, we do get breezes, which compensates a lot for, you know, hot temperatures. Well, now you're just showing off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't tell you what it's like in winter because then I'll really be showing off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it does. New Jersey is, is a state of extremes. I mean, we have extreme winter conditions. We have extreme summer conditions, high temperatures. We can get, you know, well above 100 at times. Humidity is just crazy. But, hey, you've got to do what you got to do. Um, yeah, I would think that the Lotus would be uh, just thriving down there. How did how did you get involved with the Lotus at such a deep level? Like, what was your earliest Lotus experience that kind of brought you into this? Well, I got started by way of water gardening. My first interest was in water lilies. And um, after I got out of graduate school, my husband and I lived on a sailboat for a lot of years, and I'd always loved gardening, but I, I couldn't have a garden. So after we moved back on land, um, we got a house, and the first thing I did was get a real big container. It was actually a pot that was 24 inches across and 18 inches deep, and I dug a hole, put it in upside down, and that was my first pond and had a little lily in there, and that got me completely hooked, completely. Um, One day I I was... um, you know, I saw that the lily had come up, it was ready to bloom, but every time I'd come home from work, it would be closed again. And I thought, well, it's going to eventually bloom. I didn't know anything about them. And one day I had to come home for something in the middle of the day, you know, pick something up, and I noticed the lily was open. And this was about 1980, sometime in 1985. And so I yep. reached down to smell it, and the smell was like, a blow in the back of my brain, you know, the limbic system or wherever your smell resides. And it took me back 30 years 
to when I was a kid, grew up on, on Long Island, and I used to talk like this. And um, <laughs> my, my dad used to take us to this really cool place to get fish for our tropical fish tank. And there was yeah. this wonderful smell there. There were big greenhouses, and we would go to one side where there were all of the tanks lined up, and there was this it just this incredible smell, which at the time I didn't know was water lilies. They, they sold water lilies, and they still do. And yeah. that connection was just like it grabbed me. And from then on, I was hooked, so I learned more and more about all kinds of aquatic plants. I really still like lilies, but when I learned about lotus, and my undergraduate degree was in East Asian art and literature and history and you know things like that, I had a lot of information there about the lotus, and I said, hmm, i got a pond. I can grow lotus. So that was, I was off and running to the races. Wow. So just a, a, an experience with a, a lily, a single lily in a little tiny pond, kind of led you to basically a, a career and going to exotic destinations and even writing books. That, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. It, well, actually, you? a book. My, my other stuff is, is smaller stuff. I, I can only claim uh, Kelly Billing from uh, Maryland Aquatic, and I co-wrote the book, but um, all my other stuff is little short stuff, no, nothing, no, no more than a single book. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I also heard that you are also a librarian. Yes, I, I was, uh, my graduate degree was in library science, and I was a librarian for 20 years, and that's probably oh. why I get anal about learning stuff and finding out about everything. You know, um, um, it, it's sort of in my blood somehow. Yeah. So when I say microfiche, you know I'm not talking about small koi, right? I know what you're talking about exactly. <laughs> okay. Very good. Um, so tell me about your book the, uh, <laughs> that you co-authored with Kelly Billing, who was who was a guest on this show once. You you co-authored yes. the book The Lotus, Know It and Grow It. Tell me Correct. about the book. I was I the executive director of the International Water Lily and Water Garden Society for about five years. And they had produced this really wonderful little pamphlet that was for, I think it was about 32 pages, and it was about how to hybridize water lilies, which is like a, it was by Rich Satcher from American mm -hmm. Aquatics in New Orleans. And it was a great book, but it was of a, a very limited you know, the readership was very limited. And my job was to help come up with a new topic. And I thought, everybody wants to know about Lotus. There isn't anything out there. So I convinced the IWGS, the International Water Lily Society, that we should write a book about Lotus. And they said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Go find somebody to write it. So I yeah. worked, uh, called Kelly, who is, uh, you know, knows about everything aquatic, and yeah. she she and I had worked together because um, I was executive, excuse me, a managing editor for Pond Keeper Magazine, which is now Pond Trade Magazine, uh, Laura Lee's magazine. Yeah, sure. And One since of my favorites. The, the great, great magazine. And oh, Kelly yeah. said, I'll tell you what, I agree to do it if you'll do it with me. <laughs> so <laughs> we wrote we wrote the book. 
and we yeah. had to we had very strict parameters we could only we convinced them to come up from 32 pages to 48 but we could not right. exceed that page length and um the only way we got through it was we there's like almost no white space in the in the book it's all dense text we kept saying yeah. oh, the, the the next one if we can't fit it in now we'll put it in son of lotus we kept joking around well that was what kept us sane <laughs> to keep going. So um, yeah. we printed it, it, we got printed it the first time, um, sold out right away, and then Kelly and I bought the rights from the IWGS, and we had it reprinted as a paperback, and um, that sold out, and so it hasn't been in print since, so for about two years now, no longer than that, okay. probably about three years. Um, if anyone wants to get it, someone recently told me that they bought it online from Amazon for $90, and I almost fell over when they told me that. But um, yeah. the, the, the Water Lily Society bought the extra, the remaining, remaining copies that we had, and okay. so they have them, I guess, available. I'm not quite sure how it all works. But they have them someplace. They might be the ones supplying Amazon. I don't know. But right now, you can get copies from Pond Megastore in Ohio. I just okay. checked, and they have copies there. You can go into Pond Megastore, and you can do a search um, and put in the Lotus, know it and grow it, and it'll come up. And it's about 18 bucks. Great. Yeah, and I would highly recommend it. I have the book. I've read it. I love it. You guys really did fill up every nook and cranny in that book with yeah. information. I mean, it's it's amazing how deep um, and broad the subject is. And it's amazing, too, just the influence that Lotus has had on so many cultures and religions for, for eons. Now, what do you yeah. think – why do you think Lotus is so embedded in certain cultures and religions? Well, the if you go to the eastern part of the world, to uh, India, you know, and China, Japan, that's embedded in Hinduism and Buddhism. The yeah. Buddhism actually came in a way from Hinduism. It was a progression, and the Hindus believe that the Buddha was born. When he was born, he took steps, and the first steps that he took, for I think it's like the first seven steps, from each of those steps, a lotus grew. And so wow. the lotus has very, very important connotations. When you see statues of the Buddha or the Bodhisattvas, they're sitting in a lotus position, which is usually on a lotus. Um, when yep. you are in the east and they make that nice sign that's your know, two hands clasped together and they bow over, that's called the Y, W-A-I in Thailand, and that is ap actually representing a lotus bud. And wow. the Hindus believe that you know everybody has a, or I should say most cultures have a creation myth. Well, the creation myth in Hinduism is that the world was destroyed and then it was rebuilt by pieces of a lotus. So everything on the planet came from a lotus. 
So the lotus is within all of us. And the lotus grows in muddy, you know, under-the-water crud, and it rises above that to have that beautiful bloom. Right. And that's like humanity. That's like individuals. We can rise above the mud to be who we're going to be. And it fits that that philosophy and that those beliefs, and it gets incorporated in everything. Um, the yeah. fact that it's also practical, I mean, it it's good to eat. It it's, keeps you safe. It, it's, it has medical capabilities. Um, it's yeah. portable. You know, the seeds are portable. You can carry them all around. You know, that's what the American Indians did. That's what carried it across places in the U.S., so, you know, right. it, it was un, it, it's really handy on lots and lots and lots of different, you know, in lots of different fields. Yeah, it's it's amazing how, how cross-cultural it is, and it's certainly a celebrated plant. As, as I kind of was just, you know, um, reading up on lotus and everything, you just do some searches here and there, and there's lotus festivals out there. I mean, there's so much that goes on. Have you ever been to a Lotus Festival? Um, actually, I was at one last weekend <laughs> um, here oh, in Sarasota. I was sort of the, the resident helper-outer for, for Lotus stuff. Um, I haven't oh, been to any cool. of the really huge, huge ones, but they're really, yeah. really neat. And um, there's some big ones, really big ones. Yeah, yeah they're, it's pretty amazing. Um the enthusiasm behind the lotus it's it's just the amount of people it draws in and how much it affects people i like the the mystical aspect of it it always seems to me or oftentimes it's it's represented in a very mystical way um i see a lot of lotus in artwork that's really mystical and and spiritual um it's it's amazing to me how it's permeated so many different um facets of of human behavior What's some of your favorite lotus artwork that you've come across? I'm sure you've you've seen plenty. Well, um, I sort of make a habit of collecting nice lotus stuff, <laughs> and okay. both online and that's why um, on our about the lotus Facebook page every Friday, and I've done this for I think four years now. I have a quote that gets paired with usually it's a photograph, but it's some piece of lotus artwork and it's it's usually some kind of positive or funny message but there's some photographers out there that are just to die for there's a gentleman in um alabama and he has a Flickr web page with thousands and thousands of incredible lotus photographs um he teaches and has some books out on lighting and so he uses lotus as a way to teach some of this stuff so he's really good there's a guy in rochester new york who takes and creates artwork with an x-ray machine and what he has done is actually taken an x-ray of the leaves and the flowers and made artwork out of them and all wow. of these, I could I can post or, or somehow send links so people can get to these. Uh, they're they're just the the 
x-rays are really cool because it's both beautiful, but you can actually see the inside. You know, you can do it. That's what an x-ray does. <laughs> you can see into it. That's really cool. Right. Yeah, so, that sounds yeah. very cool. I've seen well, one I mean, thing I like wanted yourself. to say that goes back to the myst- mystical thing that you just talked about. When yes. people meditate, you know how they always go, Om, and they, you know, they have yes. this chant, which is Om Mani Padme Hum. That actually yep. means the jewel is in the lotus. And that refers really? back to the lotus as the center focus for Eastern religions. And that's sort of how you get led into that mystical end of things with the meditation and the, you know, thinking where you are and where you're going to go and, you know, centering and all that kind of stuff. I always thought that meant help I can't get up. I I like the actual (laughs) translation much better. (laughs) Heck, I can't even get... I can't even get down there to start with, much less get up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the, the Lotus, all the mystical stuff and, and all this cool artwork. I mean, everything, oh, my gosh, everything from, from carvings to um, oh. plates to just, I mean, you name it. The Lotus appears everywhere. I see it represented in a psychedelic fashion a lot, too. And I think yes. there's there's... Rumor, is there any um, psychedelic or hallucinogenic properties to lotus? Well, this brings up a side shoot, and this is really a myth, and it goes back to that definition that you read, that definition number two. Uh, right. in, I think it was Homer talked about the lotus eaters. How okay. Remember Odysseus is making his travels and, you know, he, they're warned not to go to this one island because and eat the, they eat this plant and it makes them, you know, never want to leave. Well, right. that is a kind of lotus, but it is not this lotus. It is actually a land lotus. And okay. then th- that's, that's what caused that people to speculate that there could be, you know, hallucinogenic properties. The second path, which also doesn't lead to the lotus, um, which I guess I should start say that the family of lotus is Nelumbo, N-E-L-U-M-B-O. And that's distinct from lily. The water lily is Nymphaea. And when people, especially in, in, in Asia, talk about water lilies, and when that you know, Webster does talk about lotus. Sometimes they're used to refer to each other. And in huh. Egypt, there was what they refer to as the blue lotus. And that yeah. has mystical, hallucinogenic, you know, Viagra-like properties. That right. is not a lotus, although it's called blue lotus. It's a blue water lily. Okay. So huh. there, there are two paths that sort of lead to hallucinogenic, you know, special properties kind of things, but they're not Nolumbo. Okay. Doesn't the the blue lily, uh, the blue lotus, or actually blue lily, as you're, you're saying, in Egyptian culture, doesn't that have a, uh, or doesn't that have, um, isn't that part of their fable, their tale, their tradition of 
creation as well? Or do I have that, that wrong? I don't know about that. I know that it is, yeah, the pharaohs were actually buried with blue lily. It's a kind of existing lily. It still grows today. It was hmm. They're buried with those petals, and somebody, at a, I believe it was Kew Gardens, did a test on those petals and compared it to this current-day lily, found it was the same. Right. And it has several um, chemicals in it that are accentuated by, when taken with alcohol, which Egyptians would yeah. do. And so it was thought to bring long life, um, increased sexual abilities, uh, links to other worlds, but I don't know about the creation myth part of it. That part I don't know. So there's lots of pictures. um, Yeah. There's lots of pictures of the blue lotus in the carvings and the Egyptian Book of the Dead have pictures of, you know, they're holding blue lotus. So you can just put in blue lotus or blue lily and Egypt and into a Google search, and you'll see several of them come up. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Nice little side shoot on that. But um, so, okay, so maybe it's not a, an outright hallucinogenic, but there is a lot of um, medicinal purposes to, to lotus, to Nalumbo, in a lot of cultures. Yes. Um, how, how is it used medicinally? Uh, it's easier to say how is it not used. Um, okay. The, the the leaves and the stem were used. Um, the petals are taken and used in drink. And mm-hmm. um, uh, the you know from anything from you know female problems to fertility, you know helping with fertility to uh, stomach problems. It's yeah. very, very, uh, very broad, very broad. Right. Um, the the offshoot of that is there are current day researchers looking at compounds found in lotus for treatment of certain cancers and for reducing desire to eat and obesity. This is present day. Wow. Use. So, I mean, you, it doesn't matter which field you pick, physics, math, anything, Lotus somehow comes around to being involved somehow. But the medicine, um, there's just lots and lots and lots of ways. Yeah, even up to today's modern medicine. I love that because so, it's been around for, you know, used for thousands of years medicinally. Thousands of and years, And it's also yes. a, a food source. Um, I actually recently like two weeks ago or something like that, I went to an event um, that was a very nice outdoor event, and um, one of the things they were serving there were lotus chips, kind of like, you know, the, the lotus yes. potato chips. And they were – they're awesome. They were so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I gave a many, talk someplace. Yeah. I gave a talk um, actually in, in uh, St. Louis to a pond club there, and it was a nighttime thing, so they, everybody had, was sitting around tables, and there were chips in the center of each table, and they were gone before I ever got <laughs> I got very far into the talk. It's just like munching down. But every part is eaten, the seeds, um, 
you know, every part's eaten. The, the leaves sometimes are used to wrap like a taco where stuff would be steamed. You know, like you would also oh. use corn husks. Uh, the stems, the roots are eaten, boiled, fried, chips, you name it. Yep. They're ground up into mash and meal. Uh, tea, boiled, uh, yeah, lots of ways. You can get countless mm-hmm. recipes. Um, some of the traditional New Year's, the Chinese New Year's food are made with, there's a moon cake that's very traditional. That's made with flour yeah. from from the lotus. I went on a, a consultation one time for uh, a pond to uh, to possibly do a pond for these um, potential customers. I, I never actually got the job, but I did sit down with a guy, and they were a Chinese family, um, moved to the U.S. not so long ago, and I had mooncakes and tea with them, and they were delicious. <laughs> yes. I loved them. I, had, I didn't know they were made with lotus. That, that's I like them even more now. Yeah, and those traditionally you can't get. It probably was winter time, probably maybe uh, January, February, March in there. It was. It was. You, I believe it was March. It was early, yeah. and they had it in a special box. I mean, it yep. wasn't like you know op- opening up the Chips Ahoy. It oh no, that. it's a it was, real ornate, ornately oh, yeah. decorated, red and gold and fancy. Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with Chips Ahoy. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> So yeah, there's there's many many ways that lotus can be prepared. What are some of the? Do you know any of the nutritional um, impacts of it? Do you know? Because I I don't. But do you know like what vitamins or minerals or whatever? Oh, I used to know all off the top of my head, and I don't. But it is yeah. much healthier than like potatoes. It's used similar to the way you would use potato in our diet, but it's much higher yeah. in many of the vitamins and stuff, the starch component is lower. Again, any of this stuff I can find and and provide, you know, citations to. But um, sure. uh, there is um, University of Auburn yep. um, has, uh, it's not, I don't know if it's still active, but they had um, a Lotus Project in which they were trying to get people to grow lotus in order to supply a an industry they hoped would grow here in the south, southern part of the U.S., and that was to make use of farmland that was no longer used for cotton and tobacco. And their thought was if we could get people in the U.S. to eat lotus, people would be healthier, and it would provide a use for this farmland that's just sitting there and not doing anything. And so far they haven't been successful, but they've done an incredible amount of research in the nutrition, the, all of the possible uses. And it's, um, they have a website. It's um, not been updated a lot. The man who was chair of the department at the, you know, of the horticultural school, he retired. And so far somebody else hasn't, you know, come along and, there, it was. This was in joint work with someone in, from China, so they had support all over the place. And a lot of the kinds of technical things that Americans would want to know that the rest of the world takes for granted, you know, they don't even think to ask, they yep. were working on getting all of that information together and available. That, that would have been very interesting to see something like that take off. 
So I got to believe there's also um, drinks like Lotus wine or beer, maybe some sort of Lotus booze, who knows. But uh, it seems very versatile. The very uh, most interesting one is in Japan there is a festival, and it's done in the summertime when Lotus are at their peak. And Mm -hmm. what they do is they cut off a Lotus leaf. Now, don't imagine the little kind that you would have in your backyard pond, but a large lotus. So the leaf might be, you know, a foot across, something like that. Well, the entire portion of the lotus is filled with either tubes or channels to get oxygen from one part of the plant to all the way down to the bottom roots, which are in the anaerobic mud at the bottom of the lake or wherever, So they can transfer gases back and forth. And if you were to take a cross-section of the stem of a leaf, you'll see that there are little holes in it that run all the way up and down. Well, what they do is they take this big lotus leaf, and it turns into a funnel. They push a little bit of hole in in the top of the leaf, right in the very center. And then the person holds the bottom of the stem in their mouth, and they pour wine in the leaf. (laughs) And that runs through the stem, down through into the person's mouth, getting the flavor of whatever they put in there into their, you know, and it's a big something they do in festivals. But I I don't know about... (laughs) I don't know about any other specific wines. Actually, I've never had that question, Mike. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. I used to do something similar like that in college, but it wasn't with lotus and it wasn't with wine. <laughs> no, it probably not. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, and it was okay, probably so, a group activity, too. <laughs> yes, it was, with a lot of cheering and shouting. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, interesting. So I'd, I'd be interested to see if there's a, is an actual lotus wine or anything. So, but there's um, so you have all that. But like it even goes into in your book, there's a lot of industrial applications, some really, um, you know, beneficial uses industrially for um for lotus. Can you describe just? I know there's many, but just to give the listeners an idea, what are some of the industrial applica- applications of lotus? The one that probably is the most commonly used is if you were to have a lotus leaf, and there are videos of this all over the place. In fact, we have some on our on our Facebook page. If you were to put a drop of water on a lotus leaf and shake the leaf, it would beat up and run around in a circle, or you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't run off. And it actually collects dirt and forms a ball. And this is because of, after they were able to get electron microscopes, they had these electron scanning microscopes, and they looked at the surface of lotus leaves, and they found there's a certain shape to the top surface of the leaf. And what that did is it formed, it it caused water to form a ball and run off. And not just to run off, but to pick up particles on the way. So I've actually Hmm. seen a video where there is honey on a leaf. And they put a 
drop of water on it, and it just collects and it runs off. So in in Germany, they some professors actually trademarked the the term lotus effect, and okay. this is the ability of stuff to be hydrophobic. That's the you know it it casts off water in this if this manner. And then the work began to actually duplicate that into both physical surfaces and into uh, a chemical something or other that could be applied to paints um, spread on um, solar panels. GE is real interested in this because they want to be able to keep solar panels clean so you can you know catch all of the sun that's possible. Um, right. There is put on in paints clothing, you name it. And so that's the most prevalent and one of the biggest biomimicry examples that there is about how scientists learn from nature, mimic it, and then apply it. And they're now, um, I think, there is, you can buy at Home Depot, and I can't remember, the, it might be Rust-Oleum or one of those kind of companies, a real common company, sells a two-part spray, and you you mix it, or you I don't know if you spray it first or you mix it first. Once you put it on something, they have little videos showing this. Say you put it on your on a nice white sneaker. You would put yep. it on. You put that shoe in a bucket of muck. You pull it up, and all of the muck just runs right off. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And this lotus effect is is being used around the planet. It's really important. And um, the German, you know, academics who came up with it a long time ago really found something. And if you, you you know, it's interesting to see if you go and look on, again, do a a YouTube video is the best way to see it. Or if you want to go to her about the lotus um, Facebook page about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I found a drop that hit of water on the top of my lotus leaf that was flat. It was one of the early leaves in a pond. And one of the little fairy shrimp was trapped mm-hmm. in that drop along with some grains of sand. And I thought, no. oh, my gosh, will you look at that? And then I started looking. He was trapped in there. It was like the dome, and he couldn't get out. He was scurrying around. <laughs> and I quick, and I got my camera, and I made a video of it. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> it's, no, it's, like, it's absolutely amazing. It is. It's a, it's a very, very amazing plant. Um, other applications of, of science in China, obviously, there's a lot of interest in lotus, and there was a Chinese, a very rich Chinese farmer who had and grew blooming lotus as a, as a tourist attract, attraction to get people to come visit. Mm-hmm. And he decided, well, it would be nice if they would bloom more and better and longer. So he actually paid the government of China to send up into space 3,000 lotus seeds. 
Wow. Stuff happens to uh, – lotus aren't the only things, kinds of seeds that have been sent into outer space because weird right. stuff happens when it goes up there. I don't know if it's the gamma rays or what, but the effect on these seeds, not all of them, but some of them, they obviously had to try and come up with some good ones. There were certain varieties that had enhanced blooming capabilities. And now at you know, select lotus distributors, ones who really are or sell very wide variety of lotus, you can buy space lotus, and that's why they're called that. Wow. So when Kelly Billing was, was talking about lotus going into space, she wasn't having just some, some kind of breakdown on my show. No, she, was she wasn't. She wasn't. Oh, my God. She made me, she made me very nervous. No, I'm just kidding. I know she was. I know she knew what she was talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Wow, Lotus in space. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. It really is. You know. Just, you know, goldfish have gone up in space too. I didn't know that. Who brought them up? Um, it was part of. Uh, you know how every once in a while they they run science experiments that little kids suggest. That yeah. was one that they wanted to know how fish would swim <laughs> and so wow. this was a long while ago you know when they first started doing those uh science in the you know little kids science experiments and i, I guess that they did fine they came back home oh that's so funny what a brilliant kid <laughs> yes <laughs> great ex- experiment um, yeah, so there's, there's so many um industrial applications for it one thing i'm i'm curious about uh, can lotus does some plants do some plants don't uh, does lotus absorb heavy metals from the ground like some plants do yes and that okay. is actually one of the things that they were interested in in Auburn and they found that and I can't I'm sorry I can't remember which of the heavy metals it was but they found that because Lotus is a good absorber of it without, you know, hyperaccumulating it, without, you know, falling over. They could be used as a cleanup, as a wetlands reclamation plant. And when water was used at nurseries and they could use to capture some of those unwanted nutrients and elements, that would go normally would have gone into the water supply would go into the lotus. Yeah, that's great. That's an amazing property. So it can be used for remediation and to clean up contaminated sites too. I would imagine. Um, yes, a lot the, of the, a lot like the way. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say the the disadvantage of the lotus is, and we haven't talked about how it actually grows. The lotus is a seasonal plant, so the, it's not going to be able to provide the filtration capabilities 24 month, uh, 12 months a year. It's only going to uh, be doing okay. it when it's growing, and that can be a disadvantage. Right. Okay, so it has some limited use. Well, let's actually yeah. let's talk about the actual plant. Um, okay. We've, we've talked a lot about it. Um, how would you? How is um, lotus described in like scientific terms? Well, there would be two 
there are two species of lotus nalumbo. Nalumbo is the is the botanical name. One species is from the east, and that's Nulumbo okay. nucifera, and that would be um, it would be like the sometimes it's called the sacred lotus, Hindu lotus. It's got lots of names. Asian lotus. Um, that's that whole branch going way back over on the other side of the world. There is okay. another species that is grows here in North America, and it's a native here, and that's Nalumbo Nalumbo lutea L U T E A or okay. lutea. I'm not quite sure. I hear people pronounce it different ways. I still don't know the right way. And okay. it grows from southern Canada down into Central America, on the towards the east side of the country. Um, scientists okay. have pretty much decided that it never grew natively over on the western part of the U.S., and the only reason it ever got there is Indians carried the you know, components as food and dispersed it over there. But So you okay. would either have Nolumbo nucifera or the American lotus, um, the, it's it's sometimes called um, chinkapin, water, chestnut. It's got a whole list of names, but that's a, a large, um, creamy or yellow-colored lotus. That would be the other two. Any of the other lotus that you hear are hybrids somehow of these two. So it's, lotus has been in North America long before Europeans. Oh, long before there were people. Yeah. How old, on that note, how old of a plant is lotus? Um, originally, it was thought to be 34 million years old. Recently, they are making that time even older, by millions wow. of years. So wow. it probably was around when some dinosaurs were around. Wow. That's an old plant. That's that's pretty cool. And I know that the uh, water lily, also very ancient plant. Correct. Now, one of you were talking about the scientific applications for for lotus. Because there are only two species of lotus, and because mm-hmm. they are such ancient plants, they are able to use DNA testing of lotus to track migrations of ancient people. So they can see and compare the lotus grown in Japan and the lotus grown in China and the lotus grown in India and see the parentage of those plants and figure out how did it get there, how would it have gotten there, knowing that originally there was lotus in North America and there was lotus in Asia. And that's a pretty powerful tool. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I was not aware of that. Um, and right now, Lotus kind of has a global distribution, um, right? It's it's on. I mean, apart from the polar caps, it's on every continent. I, I as far as I know, yes. I don't. It's not. It grows the furthest north i know it grows there's a variety that grows in russia so that would yeah you know, well, europe we know so we're, we'll say yes uh, yeah the rest yes 
you're right. Hadn't thought about yeah. it that way. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. What is um basically what's the difference between lotus and water lily? Okay, uh, water lily has leaves that float on the surface, and there is both tropical and a hardy type of lily. Um, they grow all continents, you know, the same criteria, you know, not in on the polar caps or anything. And that mm-hmm. is a family called Nymphaea. The thing they have in common is they both grow in water. And at one point they were thought to be, you know, like close cousins. They are now finding out because of DNA tests and all kinds of other measurements they can make, that they are not at all related. I think it's the sycamore tree is closer to a lotus than it is to a water lily. Um, A water lily blooms. um, The leaves are on the the surface. They do not have this hydrophobic, you know, quality. The blooms are completely different. On lotus, the blooms are on a long stalk. Lotus can be up to, you know, like six feet tall. We're talking really big. Um, Wow. So they come in different colors. They are all lotus are seasonal, which means depending, you know, they're just getting going good where you are now in New Jersey. Um, Mine are blooming up a storm here, but in both places they're going to die back and there will be nothing except stalks hanging out in the wintertime and seed pods. That's it. It doesn't matter north or south. That's what you're going to get. Lilies can keep going if you have a, you know, the right climate. Okay. So, but, but Lotus is cold tolerant in the sense that it will come back after a freeze. Correct. As long as the root itself does not freeze solid. Okay. Yeah. I mean, really, it's they are. Um, I think once you are familiar with aquatic plants, water garden plants, lilies, et cetera, the really the difference between lotus and water lily is actually very striking. I can see how some people would kind of want to group them together, but they they really are substantially different plants. Um, yes. Both of which are great for our backyard water gardens. And um, if you had mentioned, too, the lily in New Jersey, uh, lotus, just kind of started becoming available now that it's it's really warmer. It's not one of the early aquatic plants that get released by the growers. They usually have a little bit of a lag time between other plants that get released earlier for us to keep in our, our water gardens. Um, and they're sold differently. They they tend to be a more expensive plant than your typical water garden plants. Why is that? What would you say is the driving reason behind higher prices on lotus? If lotus were not so seasonal, the price would drop dramatically, but they they are seasonal and their way they grow, they grow from a tuber. And the tuber sends out new shoots those new shoots are extremely fragile. Lotus doesn't ship really well. If you're going to kill a lotus, chances are 50-50 you're going to kill it 
before you ever get it going because you're going to mishandle or be a little bit too rough with the tuber. So mm. that means the only can be shipped is when they're in the tuber stage. That completely limits the whole commercial <laughs> you know, distribution of them. And right. if you ha- you've got to have them available in the window that matches your customers. Even with the internet, people sending stuff around, and I never recommend people get stuff by the internet. They should buy from somebody local whenever, ever, ever possible. Um, yeah. They, if you have to get it when you're going to set it out. Lotus like warm. You, if you put that out in the 45 degree water or a 60 degree water, it's just going to sit there and stare at you. It's not going to do a dang yeah. thing. It takes nope. two months. That's generally the time that they say roughly two months of sustained warm temperatures, you know, like we're talking 80 to 95 range there, for it to start okay. to bloom. So yeah. let's just say you're, you're, you know, whoever you want to buy plants from, they manage to get their hands on a whole bunch of tubers. Well, they're going to sell them right away if they can. So if right. they if they don't, only what's left can they grow out. What they grow out is not the kind of thing that's going to be able to be put in a pot and shipped. That's okay. the problem. And when they're gone, they're gone. You can't go cut more. You don't get more tuber offshoots till the springtime again. Okay. So... Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, right, and it makes sense, and and that's that's a justifiable reason to have you know a higher pricing structure on on those type of plants. Um, why don't we talk about some guidelines for lotus and and how to keep them or or not, how to not kill lotus? Okay, <laughs> what's what's the best way to go about keeping lotus for your you know your your typical backyard water garden? The the first thing would I would say is, if you can, get a lotus that's already growing. That's the the easiest best way. If you can get it in early spring, that would be great. Uh, I would say your early summer would be probably a better way to describe it. If you can right. get it at that time, and then you have the full season of its performance. Um, Lotus do not bloom like lilies do. If you have a lily, especially a tropical lily, you might get, you know, 20, 30, 50 blooms in a season. With lotus, if you get 12 blooms in a season, you're doing really good. Okay. If you get it at the beginning of the season, that's going to give you the whole season, and you don't have to do anything until next spring. That's it. Okay. However, if you buy it in the spring, that's going to be where you're going to need some help because you have to make sure to plant it without breaking off the tips. And lotus like warmth and light. So the standard way that you plant them is you put them on top of the soil, just a short, you know, in a pot, a broad pot rather than a tall, deep pot. And as big a pot as you can possibly manage. And then you anchor that by putting some rocks over the top of it. Being very careful 
not to break off those growing tips. You don't even want to touch them if possible. And then you keep the water over the top of that very shallow, maybe six inches at the most. That's going to let the most light and heat into the plant. Okay. Those would be the ways... Pardon? They'll do really well, and and they'll do very well in even shallower water too. Is that correct? So yes. six inches would be a max, but they could correct. even be kept kind of right at water level. Um, I when they're growing, they can do. They can actually be as long as their feet are wet, they're doing fine. It's yeah. the getting cool. them going that's the hard part. When you're when you're preparing the container. Um, a lot of times with other plants, I use, you've said some rocks, I use gravel, you know, like usually three-quarter inch grain gravel. I'll, I'll cover the crown of the plant and the dirt because I don't want fish to get into it. Can you do the same thing with lotus? Will they grow right through the gravel, the new growth? They would, but lotus are really weird. There's a tuber, and that's not really the root. That's the, think of it as the battery. That's the storage device. The roots that come out are come from the nodes between those banana-like tubers that they made your lotus chips out of. So oh. lotus need very, very, very rich soil. So if, if you could, I would plant them in soil and then cover that with your gravel. Okay. Um, but the... Uh, it's not that uh, I'm not even saying this right. Soil is food for them. That's the nutrition. Because they're heavy feeders, gravel won't give them the amount of food that they need and they will not thrive. Okay. If Very I could, good. And if if that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. And they so they're and they're going into like you mentioned large shallow containers. Now, yes. what typically when you get them from let's say you're getting them from a local retailer at your local garden center, um, I'm imagining they probably come fertilized. But do you need to do additional feedings for them? And if so, what do you feed them and how often? Okay. Um. Many growers would have them properly fed for a long time. Not everybody does that. That you need to check with your grower. The festival I was just at this past weekend, she fertilizes everything with a a uh, 360-day fertilizer, so you're set till next spring. But you need to make sure what your grower has put in there. Because lotus are heavy feeders and you want them to bloom and you know grow well, you would need to feed them at a fairly high rate of all three you know NPK and micronutrients. You have to have the micronutrients. So I have it because I'm a lazy gardener, I have a tendency to use a you know control release fertilizer. Okay. That's it's just easy. It, it provides a slow, steady source of nutrients for the plant, and I don't have to be out there all of the time. Right. Steady, slow, okay. 
that's a much better way for the plants to have all the stuff they need on the plate when they're ready and they need it. To get those big, beautiful blooms. Let's talk about the blooms a little bit. Um, what colors do lotus blooms come in? White, pink. Um, they call it red, but it's really closer to a, a, a reddish pink. Um, variegated, changeable, yellow, where um, it might start out white with um, pink edges and change to almost all white, or it might start out pink and change to sort of orangey. Um, there's no blue lotus. As much as you want there to be a blue lotus, and everybody is questing for that. You know, Mike, if you want to make a fortune, come up with a blue lotus. That's all I can say. But those are the I'm colors that it. you can get. Um, I'm going to do I, it because I would like to make a fortune. <laughs> yes. Um, I Every um, April Fool's Day, I, I post some <clears throat> April Fool-type post on our About the Lotus Facebook page. And one year I posted a, something that was a, you know, I photoshopped a photo of a blue lotus. And the <laughs> emails went flying. I mean, the thing went for us, you know, like viral. It was sort of crazy. And people saying, oh, where do I get it? Can I get it? And I had, I even put notes that, you know, its parentage was, you know, Adobe or Photoshop or something like that. But oh <laughs> people, they really, really, really want it. But there is no blue lotus. Yeah. So you can't go bragging, I got the Adobe lotus, because it really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How big do blooms get? I, I mean, I, I've seen, um, I, you know, I've only, I've always seen lotus in, you know, water garden uh, centers, but I've only seen one, I guess it would be a wild lotus field or a lotus pond. I don't even know what the term is, to be honest with you, but I was down in Virginia and um, not too far from um, the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank, Virginia Beach. And uh -huh. we're on this little back road, and I, we're just driving, we're going wherever we're going, to a crab shack or something like that. And um, I see all these lotus leaves, so I'm like, holy cow. So we pull over, and it was just a massive, I mean, probably, to me it was massive. It was over an acre pond just pretty much filled with yellow lotus. Um, yes. Really, really impressive. And some of the blooms were just tremendous. How big do do lotus blooms get? And does it twelve twelve it inches is probably is? about the the largest. And um, there actually is a, a United States postal stamp that was uh, oh, this was many years ago. They were celebrating the biggest, tallest, greatest whatever in the United States, and the largest American wildflower was the American lotus. And the yellow one you saw is that Native American, that Nalumbo lutea that we talked about. Really? Oh, that's so cool. Yes. It was so cool. It was absolutely yes. gorgeous. I mean, just buzzing with dragonflies and frogs, and it was just, I mean, for I think people like us, it was pretty easy to uh, spend a lot of time there. I'm pretty sure I was dragged away. Um, how long do the blooms? How long do the blooms last? Um, they general they open and close. They open early in the morning, usually before you get up the first day, and then each successive for about three or four days, depending on the on the flower on the variety, it'll open and close later in the day. On the last day, 
it'll open, and then while it's open, the petals will actually drop off. And it's really cool looking because they actually float around the pond. They're just real, like little boats. They look really neat. But the bud on the lotus lasts for anywhere between a week and two weeks. And that is a beautiful shape. So even before they bloom, they look great. But you don't get lots of blooms. The leaves are up there looking great. But, um, they, they, you know, again, it's a different kind of beauty. Right. Now, when you're seeing a, a, a bud, how long, because I remember seeing, at, especially at that pond that I was referring to, a lot of buds, obviously. It was in every stage of development. When you see the bud, how long before bud will be open? How long does that usually take about? Yeah, Is it like from a day away from opening, up, two days? Oh, no, no. Um, from when it first comes up, it'll only be, you know, like maybe an inch above the soil, and it'll it gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It will be it could be anywhere from a week to two weeks before it's actually going to fully open. Now it could be you saw one closed, you know, the leaf the petals closed from the day before, depending on the time of day. Oh, okay. Does in lilies um, sometimes the color of the flower will affect? the color of leaves and, and the how they look. Does that hold true for lotus as well? Nah, they're they're pretty much various shades of green, not lots and lots of difference. Um there is a little bit of pink that sometimes will show as they're unfurling when they first come up. I I haven't grown enough different varieties or bred them. Experts could tell you that they probably have a finer tuned eye, but basically they look Mostly the same. Some have a little okay. more ruffle than the others, but that's about it. Not by color. I think the leaves are are amazing. I mean, it's it's obviously a feature of the plant and um, one of the the most interesting. In your book, I see a lot of cool pictures of of lotus leaves, and uh, one of my favorites is there's a guy on the side of the road with this big lotus leaf. So it's like he could use it as an umbrella. Some people do use them as hats. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but the the leaf itself. Can you tell me about the texture of it? Because I, it does it have little. It's kind of rough in a way. If you run your finger over it, there's a roughness to it. Um, I would say more rough, like felt or or. Um, right. It's it's like a nap rather than rough is probably a better term. Yeah, not terribly uh, rough, but but just right. not as smooth as a as a lily leaf. No, no, it's not shiny smooth at all. It's, you know. How big do the leaves get? On a big variety, you can get a leaf probably close to two and a half feet, of, two feet across, let's say. That's just tremendous. Really big. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tremendous leaf. That really is. That's so cool. Um, are there micro varieties or dwarf varieties of lotus? There are bowl varieties and teacup varieties. Yes, yes, yes. Chinese um, have bred all kinds of very, very small varieties. And um, I have very small ponds. And if you go to our, uh, you know, I keep talking about it, but that's where all of the photos are posted, our About the Lotus Facebook page, um, you will see lots of photos. There are some actually up there now. I grow what would be either considered small or medium size. And I grow them in patio containers because 
I only have one small pond and I can't fit everything in there. And a lot of people who don't have ponds can still grow lotus in containers. I mean, yeah. drop dead gorgeous containers. And that's there are lots of varieties that do that. They have the same, you know, criteria. You need to treat them the same way, feed them the same way. The only difference is because lotus are heavy feeders and they, you know, they have a high metabolism during summertime when they're growing in a pot with only about, you know, four inches of water, they're breathing out all of those, the humidity and all that water. So you have to keep it filled. If it's in a pond, you know, your pond's being filled and it takes care of that. But that would be an added maintenance item if you have them in a container. It's well worth it. And again, you can see lots of photos of I always have container lotus growing in my in my garden. Okay. Does a lotus provide a home to any sort of animals or any critters that that live on among within lotus? Yeah. Um in you know that that pond that you saw that big giant one, um you mm-hmm. will see lots and lots of fish because they are water purifiers. They're really good in natural bodies of water of protecting wildlife and creating ecosystems. Stuff will eat the roots, um, ducks, fish, dragonflies, birds, frogs. Um, your, your, your typical lineup of you know that you'll see dragonflies love to you know to come up to molt when they're coming out of the pond to to hatch. So you'll always see lots of those uh, casings on the stems. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So it's a powerful component of ecosystems. And you talked about nutrients. So a lot of people in their their water gardens, they'll utilize plants not just for the aesthetic beauty of it and the fun and love of water gardening, but to be a functional part of the system, of the pond system, as well as far as creating great water quality. So the lotus is 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 it a good plant to use for um, drawing nutrients out of water? Yes and no, um, because it you know if if I well in my pond I mean I have lotus growing in a pot because I want them moved and we haven't talked about that we're gonna yeah, we we ran out of time a while ago but I would I would use many other aquatic plants before I would use lotus because of their seasonal abilities. Yeah, but there's seasonal growth habit. You know, I would put iris in. Iris is a great, great pond filter. You know, binds up nutrients for a long time, um, you know, is is always green. Yeah, I would use iris. Lotus, while it does absorb all kinds of stuff, it's not growing parts of the year. Right. So let me uh, just to, to because, yeah, we're, we're running. Um, I'll go as long as you we're, want. We're, I'll we're go good. as yeah, we're, we're good. Nobody's going to kick us off. Um, so what would be just some, some winter care? What if, if somebody doesn't want to, let's say it is in a container, can they, is this something, what do you do during the winter if somebody's up in the northeast or colder zones? You would take that container and put them in your garage, um, you know, okay. or basement. Um, or if you have a pond, you could just sink it in the bottom of the pond. Um, okay. You're 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 basically keeping it, you know, in a hibernation. What it's doing is it's converting the root mass in the bottom of the pot that's wound around in a circle in that pot 
from sugars into starches, and that's what it will use in the spring to start growing again. Yeah, cool. Yeah, what an amazing plant. I mean, it's so versatile. Um, you find it everywhere. We find it in our own backyards these days. Um, they're, they seem to be a pretty low-maintenance plant, easy to take care of with some really high return on aesthetic beauty and just all the other uses. Is there anything else you want to add to uh, the discussion about uh, water lotus? Uh, the the only thing I would say is because they are different, people have to get used to sort of a, a different kind of growing them. They're one of these plants that are they're picky to get going, and I mean you sort of got have to get into the the vibe, you know, the gestalt of lotus. But once you do, they're great. They're they're just easy and they're carefree. And they, they look like a million bucks. Yeah, they really do. And who knows? It may uh, inspire somebody to travel the world like yourself in search of, in, in pursuit of Lotus and, and write books and, and who knows. But um, thank you very much for coming on tonight and sharing your expertise with me and the listeners. And um, you have a website, too, that listeners can visit called aboutthelotus.com. Um, Correct. Tell me a little it's- bit about the, web- the website. Well, the website we created when we had the books to sell, um, we don't really keep it up, and especially because we just post several times a week, three times a week, to our Facebook page. So if I were to send somebody back to, you know, to look for information, I would send them to the Facebook page. Um, there's you know, like four years of tidbits, information, photographs, lots of information that you can just you know, gather in nice little bite-sized pieces. Our our website has stuff, but we haven't kept it up. There's lots of resources you can go in and find, but they're not real current. I, you know, I'm a librarian. I I, I got to do a disclaimer about it's not the most current thing in the universe. <laughs> All right. It's <laughs> chock full of information, though. I still like it. Oh, it is. It is. There's a lot of stuff in there, a whole lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. And the Facebook page is called aboutthelotus.com. Um, do you have anything else coming up, any uh, appearances you're making, any speaking or engagements or any books, anything happening? Well, um, eventually, Lotus, the, w- Kelly and I would like to make some kind of an app that people could use on tablets, you know, phones to get information and so our next Lotus something or other, whatever it's going to be, will either be podcasts like this or it will be something delivered digitally. Cool. Very cool. Well, we'll all keep an eye out for that. And um, thanks again for coming on tonight. This was a lot of fun to do. I hope you'll come back sometime. And um, you're a great guest. And I, I hope you have a great night and a really nice Fourth of July holiday weekend. Well, you too. Thank you very much for having me and helping us spread Lotus information around. We always like that. (laughs) Yep, me too. Anytime, Paula. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks for coming on to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast, and you have a very nice night. Okay, you too. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep, that was Paula Biles, everybody. What a great guest. I mean, that's a lot of information on Lotus. Wow. Like, a lot. Um, but it's a plant with so much history. Uh, I mean, millions of years. It's been around, you know, before me. 
Um, and it's going to have, uh, of course, a lot to talk about, something being around that long. It's so cool. It's an ancient plant and yet still has a huge impact on our modern times. Um, okay, so you guys can find more from Paula at her website, aboutthelotus.com, her Facebook page, About the Lotus. Um, friend her, say hello, let her know the Pond Hunter sent you. Her books can still be found, um, even though they're out of print, but they are out there, and uh, she had mentioned a couple of resources for it, and I'm sorry, I don't recall, but if you go back and listen to the show, you can certainly find it. So The the Lotus, Know It and Grow It by authors Paula Biles and Kelly Billing. Um, You can find it on Amazon.com. I think MarylandAquatic.com may have some, too, if you want one of the few copies floating around out there, everybody. So, um, So we have some stuff coming up. Looking forward to it in August. Going to be a busy, going to be a busy month. Pondemonium by Aquascape is happening August 5th through 8th out in St. Charles, Illinois. This is, one of, this is the premier professional water garden event out there. I go to it every year. I'm going this year. I can't wait to go and see uh, old friends, make new friends, and learn an awful lot and network out there. So, pond professionals, uh, hopefully you signed up. For Pondemonium, August 5th through 8th, it's going to be at the Q Center in St. Charles, Illinois. If you want to learn more about it, go to aquascapeinc.com slash pondemonium. The IWGS Symposium, the International Water Garden Society Symposium, is happening in Kansas this year. I think it was in Denver last year. They always find these great locations to have their symposium. I've never been to one. I would love to go to one one of these days as going to. And this is going to be out in Lawrence, Kansas at Water's Edge, August 13th through 15th. To learn more, visit www.iwgs.org. And um, what else do we have going? Homes, Farm, Pond, and Pet Trade Show. That's August 26th through 27th at Bear Creek Mountain Resort in McCungie, Pennsylvania. I'll say that again, McCungie, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more, go to homesfarm.com to find out more about that event. So some cool stuff. And in totally unrelated, Grateful Dead are on tour for their Fairly Well Tour. They're going to be out at Soldier Field in Chicago July 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Uh, I wish I was making it. And good luck to all those guys. So Grateful Dead, people, go check them out. Um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Gannon. I will catch you guys next time on the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Blog Talk Radio, Periscope. Anybody out there periscoping? Um, hope you are. If you are, friend me. Reach on out. And you can find the uh, this and the archived shows on iTunes slash the Pond Hunter in the pursuit of all things aquatic. So um, you know what I like to say? Keep it pondy. That's what I like to say. So be safe, everybody. Be healthy. Have a great 4th of July holiday. And uh, no matter where you live, and take care, everybody. We will see you next time on the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast. You have been listening to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio, the Pond Hunter. Keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed. Take care, everybody.